Want access to richer content and exclusive analysis on the business of sport? Sports Pro Plus is used by experts across the industry to make informed decisions, with two membership tiers offering access to original content, exclusive reports, and a suite of business intelligence tools. Become a member today at sportspromedia.com forward slash subscribe and use the code FCPOD10. That's FCPOD10 at checkout for a 10% discount. The Football Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football. Hello and welcome to the Football Code Business Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Mamby, and my guest on this show is Jesse Giordano, Senior Partnership and Brand Experience Leader at GMRFC, the football-focused division of the US-based experiential marketing and sponsorship activation agency, GMR Marketing. GMRFC was only recently set up in July this year in collaboration with strategic partner 18K Sports and represents GMR's big move into European football, or should I say soccer, Amongst other services, the new company will look to provide sponsorship consultancy, experiential activations, and corporate hospitality programs. This all comes, of course, against the backdrop of Lionel Messi at Inter Miami and the FIFA Men's World Cup being hosted in North America in summer 2026. So I'm looking forward to asking Jesse about what brands should know when it comes to activating around that tournament, what GMRFC have learned from previous World Cups, and how their experience of activating for the NFL around the Super Bowl can help them out in the world of football. Right, without further ado, let's get into it. Jesse, welcome to the show. Hi, Alex. Pleasure to be here. And we can call it football. Uh, we don't have to call it soccer for the next uh, 60 minutes or so. Okay, football it is. Uh, before we start talking about GMRFC, can you tell us a bit about your personal history in the world of football? Yeah, absolutely. So I myself um, played football um, all the way through university. So uh, for me, it was the intersection of both personal passion, participation, and then uh, now business. So it's been an entire life and career uh, focused around football and the business of sports. Um, and specifically, as, it, as we think about the world's largest stages, my first uh, FIFA World Cup activation was 2006 in Germany. I've had the privilege and opportunity to activate five men's World Cups and three women's World Cups. I most recently spent uh, the summer um, down under in Australia and New Zealand at this uh, women's World Cup as well. Any personal preference out of those five men's and three women's? Oh my goodness. Um, from the men's side, 2010 South Africa. Uh, it was absolutely magical. I had the opportunity to um, be based in Cape Town, but travel the entire continent um, as part of that experience. And so both um, the, the intersection of the, the tournament, but also the, the cultural fusion of what was happening at the time in, in South Africa was really beautiful. Um, and then for a Women's World Cup, man, that one's hard. I think this most recent uh, tournament, we saw a shift in the narrative. It went from the Women's World Cup to... World Cup football quality um, that was gender agnostic. And so I think as a female in the sport, that was a really um, pivotal moment for me um, in those three experiences as well. So now you find yourself at GMRFC, recently launched company. What's the opportunity you've identified and are looking to exploit? Yeah, I think, Alex, when we look at the road ahead, 2026 at the forefront of that, um, 2027 Women's World Cup, whether that lands 
back in the U.S. and Mexico or um, perhaps Nether- Netherlands, Belgium, and uh, Germany as well. But we really believe that this is just the start, um, it's specifically in the United States, right? We are always trying to catch up uh, to those in Europe. And so 2026 is um, perhaps going to be the biggest event of our lifetime. Um, and we really wanted to make sure that we were organized as an organization, GMRFC, to take advantage of that opportunity and to help guide our brand clients and properties that we work with uh, to take advantage of that that moment. Is it all about 2026? I mean, you mentioned 2027 there as well, but right now, is the focus entirely on that 2026 World Cup or do you already see this as you know, one of multiple opportunities? One of multiple opportunities. I think those other opportunities have existed for a while, right? And so the sport of football in the United States, obviously globally as well, continues to grow in its um, dominance. Uh, it's always been the dominant sport from the the impressions perspective, from the fandom and following perspective, but really from um, the business opportunity. And at GMRFC, this, our, this division, while GMR is a 40-plus year experiential leader, GMRFC, as you referenced, uh, was started and organized this summer. It's focused specifically on brands and properties activating in global football. And so I think the focus there for us is in this roadmap, we wanted to make sure as an organization, we were organized to take advantage of the opportunity. And so really what we looked at is um, within the halls of GMR prior to the the, um, GMR FC's launch, we have amazing subject matter experts. We have GMR, we call them story makers or our employees who have worked for all of the leading leagues FIFA, UEFA, the European teams, MLS. And so really, this was just an organization and consolidation to make sure we were able to tap into the opportunity for our brand clients. Adam Lippard, the GMR Chief Partnership Director, has said that the upcoming World Cup, and I quote, will be the biggest sports and cultural event of our lifetime. That's a punchy claim. Do you agree? I do. But let me tell you why. I think that we all know the stats. Three nations, 16 host markets, 104 matches. So you can't argue the size and scale, right, when it comes to the biggest opportunity, the biggest event of our lifetime. Um, But actually, it's the opportunity for audience experience that we're really focusing on. And so... You know, what, what um, another piece that Adam likes to say is when you look at um, the World Cup, it has the best of every event. It has the bigness of Super Bowl. It has, um, in, in the U.S. here, we talk a lot about um, college football. And so the pageantry um, and really that fan, the fandom of college football. It has the bracketology of the NCAA March Madness and Final Four in terms of just how the, you know, how we're looking at the match play into um, into the round of 16, quarterfinals, et cetera. National pride of the Olympics. One of my um, most favorite parts about um, the World Cup itself is just the fandom and and the pure melting of culture, uh, which, you know, you see in the, the World Cup. Um, and so when we talk about, again, the biggest event, I think it's bringing all of those elements. And oh, by the way, in the United States, which is the most commercially significant um, event as well. 
One of the things that I find interesting about the World Cup is it, yeah, it's you know it's this month long festival of football, three sometimes four matches a day, uh, and the attention of the world, the eyeballs of you know three and a half billion people. I think FIFA put the number at watching um, fervently and passionately, but it's got a pretty you know, if you look at the sort of bell chart, if you look at the audience attention, it's pretty focused on that one month. And yet the buildup lasts for a decade or more. I want to talk about brands. And in your experience, here we are two and a half years out from the tournament. How much interest in there in the World Cup is there already from brands? The really good news, Alex, is I think every brand recognizes that the FIFA World Cup is coming and that they want to be thinking about it. Beyond FIFA World Cup, again, I think the the theme in which many of our clients are um, engaging in conversation is tell me more about this phenomenon of global football, right? Men's, women's. Um, and, and so um, I think there's a lot of conversation. Right now, what we're finding is education. A lot of what we're speaking to our clients is about is okay, help us understand the entry point. Yeah, we get the bigness. We get that um, this provides an incredible diverse audience to bring forward the global scale, et cetera, et cetera. But um, it's complex. You know, when we think about all the entry points, call it FIFA or, you know, rights holder, individual teams, um, hospitality only, right? Um, or even unofficial activations. And so we're, we're really helping to guide, okay, what is, what are our brand objectives? What are your audience priorities? What are some investment pra- parameters? Because that can swing the conversation significantly. And then based on that, guiding our conversations and um, based on real education of the marketplace. So we're at our infancy in client conversations, I would say. We're, we're really helping to educate so that, again, hopefully within the next 12 to 18 months, brands are ready to um, start to invest um, to ensure that they're ready for this opportunity. How broad or narrow is your list of target brands? I mean, I'm sure you've got kind of, you know, a long list and a short list, you know, tier one, tier two, tier three. But when you set out on this journey, more or less, how many brands are you thinking that's who we want to go after? I mean, the beauty of this opportunity is our advice is every single brand should be thinking about it. So, of course, you have your global players. Um, You know, interesting enough, there's a you see it um, in global football and in FIFA's most recent announcements, right? Is there's going to be an influx of um, international dollars coming into the U.S., Canada, and Mexico for the tournament. But beyond the global brands, regional brands, um, s- small challenger brands, you know, again, I think the the entry points are so vast that our our target list is as well. Um, to say, you know, again, we want to have a conversation regardless of who you are as a brand, because we think that there's um, an opportunity to, to play. And presumably for sponsors and non-sponsors, there are different, you know, the size of opportunity is different. The challenges are different. I want to talk about some of those challenges because 2026 is, um, you know, unique, although maybe now that we've got 48 teams and 100 plus matches, it's going to become the norm, i.e., uh, you know, co-hosting. Uh, agreement. It's three countries, three huge countries uh, co-hosting this tournament. Um, More teams than ever before, more matches than ever before, a new format. What challenges do you think brands are going to face in 2026 in the context of that new format? There's so many. So let me um, start to break it down. I think uh, first, um, as we think about audience, 
and really having a focus and a strategy tied to that. Um, I mean, of course, you threw out three and a half billion fans, right? So just there alone, the diversity of audience is massive. Um, but when we think about those three host markets, you look at cross-section of culture, geographic diversity, um, a spectrum of hardcore fans versus first-time fans. Um, you know, again, we we see this opportunity as bringing new fans into the conversation who may or may not have had any experience with football previously, but are in it for the culture or for the spectacle, right? And then how do you keep them engaged um, afterwards? And so I think any brand coming in thinking it's a one-size-fits-all solution is going to, um, you know, really struggle to break through um, during the opportunity. And so understanding, first and foremost, audience priorities, and then building macro and micro strategies, right? Channel strategies, content strategies. How are we going to personalize the experience based on this really diverse audience segment that we have the opportunity um, to impact? So I think first challenge is just the breadth of audience. Then, um, as you talked about, um, three massive markets. Um, operationally, that also um, has a universe of challenges that come along with it. Um, Cross-border travel, um, thinking about the infrastructure swings from, you know, call it a New York, Dallas, San Francisco to Monterey, Mexico, um, the, 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 the preparedness um, to, to serve the similar guest experience. Because I think for brands, again, one of the things that we think a lot about is um, how do you have a consistent guest experience regardless of where you're dropping down into the marketplace? And so, I mean, thinking through all of those operational challenges um, that come along with it um, will be critically important for a brand too. Good news for for us, GMR, we already have um, operational boots on the ground in all three host markets and are building um, that initial intelligence right now. I'm going to go back to Adam Lippard. He's getting a good amount of airtime on this uh, podcast, but he he said something I thought was really interesting. He said, uh, and I quote again, the commercial pathways for brands to exploit are vast. And and the word that I like there was pathways. You know, if he said the commercial opportunities are vast, you'd sort of nod along and say, yeah, sure. But that commercial pathways I thought was really interesting. What do you think he means by that? Sure. So what we talk a lot about um, from pathways is, again, tied to audience and objectives, but are we going in in an official capacity? Okay, if we are, then those opportunities and entry points based on that pathway um, can look really different, right? We can, FIFA came out with their regional supporter package um, that could provide, you know, a really interesting opportunity within that official pathway. Host committees we're looking at if there's just really specific regional importance for your brand, isolating on this one or two um, host committee partnerships. So there's the official path. There's the hospitality only path. A lot of our clients are um, B2B brands who are not going to necessarily invest um, in the consumer facing assets tickets across all of those markets and all of those matches, but really important for that white glove, high level service um, to drive their most important relationships. So there's a hospitality only patch. FIFA 
we know is in progress um, with their hospitality tender looking to appoint that somewhere in the um, new year. Um, there is the team path, right? And again, the back back to back potential to think about club into uh, the FIFA World Cup. So we haven't talked about the Club World Cup in 25, but to really think about how do you pull from any existing relationships that you have perhaps in Europe, um, South America, pull that into club and then bring forward a player player path or athlete path as well. And so um, when, at, when Adam's talking about pathways, really it's, you know, what's the starting conversation for activation? You personally and GMR as a company have... Um you know, a whole host of experience, wealth of experience in World Cups, a great pedigree in it. And I'm sure that's really useful, but presumably it can only help so much when you think about the differences from one World Cup to another. And I mean that both in terms of like audience consumption habits, uh, and I also mean it in terms of, you know, local challenges. Uh, you know, we're talking about this huge, you know, three countries sharing the World Cup. It comes four years after Qatar, the smallest nation ever to do it. I think there was a stat that no stadium was more than 35 miles from Doha. So, And they were so all brand new. Ex- all, and all and clean, all brand right? New. That's the other piece of it. So, yes. Yeah, and, and designed specifically for the tournament. And they were all, you know, soccer stadia, 100%, you know, designed for, you know, football stadia, 100% designed for football. So to what extent can you lean on that experience versus thinking this is a new challenge that's, never been confronted before? I think it's one data point in how we look at it. So from a GMR perspective, we have operated um, 13 World Cups. Um, We've also operated 18 Olympic and Paralympic Games. And so, uh, you know, while the host market changes in each one of those executions every single time, there is a baseline of mandatories, right? These are the things that that no matter where we put down a global event in the world, we know must be true. We call them our operational. And so those are um, something that we pull through and we have a blueprint to build upon. And then really, you know, what we're always doing is how do you stay as close to the center of the information sharing network as possible? Because on top of that blueprint, then the levers are based on intelligence and information that are unique to that marketplace. 2026, will be really interesting. This is FIFA's first men's World Cup where they will own the delivery and accountability of the delivery uh, for the tournament. So previously, they'd always go in, um, you know, look at Qatar. We had the local organizing committee, right? So FIFA was sitting next to the local organizing committee. This is their show. And so GMRFC, one of our um, primary remits um, on behalf of our client is to make sure we're on the pulse of that intelligence to then pair, okay, what are we hearing and what do we understand is the direction that we're going, play that against our operational mandatories that we've learned over the course of our our 40 plus years, um, and then help to guide um, client decision making and planning based on that. Um, so, so that I think, Alex, is you're right. We can't just pick up the blueprint from Qatar or pick up the blueprint um, from Brazil, despite you know very similar um, scale or, or um, geogra- geographic scale. Um, but it's looking at that as one data point in our decision making. Jesse, I would love to get into some of the stories that I'm sure there are around uh, some of those 
World Cups, some of those Olympic Games, I mean, you just start sort of casting your mind back to where they were and you think, wow, there's a range of countries and different ex- experiences that uh, you know you guys must have had activating there. But I want to talk about another sporting event first, and that's the NFL. GMR, I've got a great deal of uh, experience activating with the NFL, um, particularly around the Super Bowl, which always springs to mind whenever you think uh, NFL. What are the similarities and differences between that and a FIFA World Cup? Great question. Similarities. Again, we, we talk about bigness, right? And so in the United States, that is the event that everyone holds up as the benchmark for um, bringing forward the, the trifecta of sports, entertainment, and experience. So as we think about 2026, sport, we've got covered. No, nobody better than uh, the FIFA World Cup from just letting the, the headlines of football carry the tournament. Um, experience, again, I think we've seen progress, right? That, that beyond just the pl- field of play itself, that there is, you know, a, an, an experience that um, people is trying to take ownership for or, or really build out and brands play a huge, huge role in that, whether official or unofficial. Um but the one piece I think in terms of differences that we haven't necessarily seen um, at previous World Cups is that focus on music and entertainment. And that is, I would say, expected um, here in the United States at, at these big marquee events that it is one part sport and one, one equal part um, entertainment and music plays a, a huge piece in that. Expected by fans, right? And I suppose, you know, brands piggyback on that. But that was going to be my next question. I think you've kind of half answered it there anyway. But, you know, the geographical differences, I think, are in place. And I think that importance of expectation um, feels like something which, if not unique to the US, is certainly something that US has led on for a long time. I mean, over this side of the pond, you say Super Bowl and people think halftime show, you know? So I I suppose... is that a kind of fan insight that you have that geographically fans and indeed brands in the US just expect more from tentpole events when it comes to entertainment? Yeah, I, I, I mean, yes, anecdotally, and the research I think will prove that out um, as well. I think it's really the total journey, right? And so what um, the US I do think is on the front end of is looking at the fan experience as a 360 experience. Um, it starts way before we get to the match or way before we get to the stadium. And, um, you know, the, the, the role of content, the role of um, social media, the role of music, entertainment, fashion, food, you know, let's talk about Super Bowl. I think um, beyond just the, the halftime show, um, the food experience becomes um, really critical too. And so, I think those have become expectations of the fan. And so as brands are thinking about, again, what are all the touch points um, that we need to be showing up in a really authentic and, and personalized way, it has to move beyond the sport itself. It has to really bring forward that 360 fan experience on, online, offline, um, and, and you know, in any future uh, digital products that are not even in existence today as we talk, you know, in 2023, but that will be here in 2026 as well. We've talked about experiential and, and I think, you know, I think everybody would agree that there is nothing that beats 
being there when it comes to sport. There's nothing that beats, you know, the experience of of watching something live, and then you know everything else that that encompasses, whether it's food or entertainment, music, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. However, experiential events are expensive. Typically, um, it's cheaper to reach people. Um, digitally, I think eyeballs, you know, uh, g- generally speaking, you can get more eyeballs, more bang for your buck if you choose a more kind of digital, social led activation strategy versus experiential. We live in a world where, you know, many brands, are, advertisers are tightening their, their purse strings. Is it a challenge sometimes to convince, and particularly, you know, GMR marketing being having such pedigree when it comes to experience? And even the GMRFC website says, uh, we believe experience is the most powerful way to connect brands with football. Is it sometimes a challenge, or do you anticipate it being a challenge to convince brands that experiences are a crucial or should be a crucial part of their strategy when it comes to 2026? I think that the good news, um, Alex, is that. It's not an or conversation, right? And that's where we really try to engage is media has to be, that this is going to be the biggest media moment, right, in 2026. Um, And so that's going to have to have a role. Um, But when we talk about sustainable brand impact, when we talk about moving from a moment to a relationship with the consumer, a relationship with a fan, um, the, that comes through experience, right? And the ability to create those lasting memories on the backs of this incredible global event, but that will um, allow that brand to continue to drop into that fan's life, brand experience um, for the duration. That is where we see the power of experience. Um, from a brand conversation, I think it's the new medium right? A lot of our clients are having conversations is like, we understand it's not just spots and dots anymore, that it ha- we have to provide that personalization. We have to provide that multimodal um, experience that allows us to have um, more direct engagement and more authentic engagement um, and, and meet our fans where they are. Because we are shifting away from a linear conversation while live is still, sports is still king when it comes to live, um, that multimodal experience becomes even more important. And so that's where we're trying to um, really make sure it's, you know, this is one of many um, parts of the new um, media mix and experience plays a really, really important part of that. It's a great answer. I think, um, yeah, I, I buy that. And I think, um, you know, that ability to drive envy and wanderlust and you know desire to be there by creating the experience and there's a lucky few who are there but ultimately the eyeballs that you can reach even just showing what that experience is um you know based on people wishing they were there is is huge as well so uh yeah no i i buy that jesse i often finish these podcasts looking forwards and i want to do that now and and i caveat this question knowing that you know you don't work for U.S. soccer. You know, legacy is not necessarily the most uh, important part of your remit. But I do think it's interesting the moment that we are in right now when it comes to, to football in the U.S. You know, the best player in the world is playing uh, in the MLS. Apple TV deal is um, you know is driving whole new audiences. The World Cup is coming. It feels like a kind of groundswell of momentum building up to this seminal moment in the history of the sport in the country. And yet there's a word of caution because USA 94, I know a lot of people also thought, hey, this is a turning point for the sport in the country. And 
and kind of not very much happened for a while after USA 94. The soccer revolution didn't quite take hold like people had uh, sort of expected it would be. So my question is, what do you think the US as a, you know, as a country and, and everyone involved in, in soccer in the US needs to do to make sure that post-World Cup 2026, the momentum continues? And how bullish are you that that will happen? No pressure on that answer, right? Um, <laughs> I think about 94, um, and where was the legacy? The legacy was at the participatory level, I, I, I believe. Now I have to, you, know, you can fact check me after this, but um, that there was an incredible um, increase in kids participating in soccer and football. Um, and it is, you know, still now an inconsiderate youth sport here in the United States. Number one signups um, at, at the U5 level are in soccer, right? But you don't see that sustained participation and or fandom. And I think that's where the opportunity is when you talk about this moment is to move football or soccer in the United States into mainstream culture, right? Where it's not just a, a participatory sport. It's not just a youth sport, but this is fabric of culture, right? And so how do we do that? That's the, that's the million dollar question. Um, but if you start to think about um, the play, like the players themselves, and you referenced the, the number one player in the world now being in the MLS, they're icon, you know, these players are icons everywhere else in the world. If you walk down the street, um, I would dare say maybe no, like it, you'd find one in five people that could name anyone on the men's national team. Women's national team, I think you can get a few more um, here in the U.S., but um, that that player notoriety, I think, is going to be really, really important. I, I think a lot about it in, uh, in terms of equity amongst other leagues, Alex. And so NBA perhaps is, a, a to me, the kind of North Star. When you think about the profile of players in the NBA, they're, they're intersecting culture, fashion, music, like, yes, they're incredible basketball players, but what they represent is way more than basketball. And so I think if we can come out of 2026 and build the player profiles that become mainstream icons or mainstream culture, then it's a much easier conversation um, because, you know, it's, it's not about do you know the sport or not? You know the you know do you know what offsides is or not right? It becomes do you know this player and I'm going to follow this team as a result. You know I'm going to follow Miami as a result of Messi. I'm going to um, you know gather friends and ta start talking about it around um, you know social conversations. And so to me, I hope we can continue to elevate the players as the heroes um, as opposed to just having a media moment that we all then go back to a participatory sport. Jesse, it's a great answer. It's a great way and place to leave the interview, I think. Thank you very much. It's been insightful. It's been revealing. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Alex, for having me and I'm looking forward to an incredible runway for sure. Well, we'll keep an eye on GMRFC, uh, no doubt uh, present, visible, doing big things both in the US and uh, over in Europe. And thank you, listeners, for, for tuning in. We've got a host of great guests coming up, so please keep your eyes peeled for those. All the best. The Football Podcast.
Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football.